got to thinking, hmm, how are we going to make Christmas exciting again? So, first thought was, I've heard this story 20, 30, 40, not to age myself, but many times. You get the picture, yeah. Um, so it, it caused me to kind of clear my mind and, and leave, leave room for new ideas. So I'm going to ask you to do the very same. So open your mind, allow for planting of a new idea. And here we go. Are you ready? How does this Advent find you? Does it find you empty, wondering how the story can become new again? When you've already wrung every miracle and promise within it dry. Does it find you cynical? Oh yeah, Christmas again, bah humbug. Wondering how long you can hold the faith, when with all the waiting and yearning and longing of Advent's past, the world has hardly changed. Does it find you wanting so badly for all of this to be true that you will talk the world into joy and hope out of fear that if you don't, it may never appear? Does it find you reluctant? Here only because the lectionary tells you that it's that time of year again and the world offers you no other choices. In this time of worship, this morning... Let your act of faith be to let Advent find you wherever you are in your journey to create a space inside you and the world around you where mystery and presence might grow. Thank you, Randall. It's even hotter up here, isn't it? Children, children's church, you want to head on out to the back between ages two and six. If you are here, uh, you want to go and spend some time worshiping God together downstairs. I don't know if you caught the uh, same truth in Randall's reading that I caught. Here we are heading into the Christmas season again, and no doubt some of you are pumped about that. A few of you already told me this morning that you can hardly wait because Christmas is here and you so much love uh, Christmas season. You love doing the shopping and all kinds of cool stuff that you could be buying for your children and for your grandchildren and for your husbands, and that's just so fantastic. No, Some of you uh, may be feeling that excitement about Christmas and, and uh, you're wondering how you're going to keep it down shopping-wise to a certain dollar level and you're looking forward to the gatherings and the food and the programs and it's all so much fun and you can hardly wait. Uh, and then there's some of you that feel somewhat differently. 
I was driving down the highway this past week and drove by a large condo building in the evening in the dark and and there on one of the railings of one of the balconies in huge letters with Christmas lights, no doubt, was the word humbug. And then there are those of us that are somewhere in between. Many of whom are in fact kind of wondering, how am I going to get myself psyched up for Christmas again this year? I, I mean, I know that it's an amazing season. The truth that we're celebrating is amazing, and I, and, and I get that and, and, and everything, but honestly, I, I, I'm just not really feeling it right now. How will I be able to kind of conjure up from within myself the right feelings to celebrate this in a meaningful way, the way the event of Jesus' birth deserves to be celebrated? Where will those feelings come from? If you can, keep this dilemma in your mind for a moment. We'll take a little detour and come back to it. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. It's already been mentioned. Now, the worship committee has for a while been thinking about um, it would be nice if we could do some teaching on, uh, on worship. What really is worship? What is it not? What does it look like in our world? Might we be missing something? Which parts of how we worship are actually biblical and which are simply our preferences or our style? And then as we were thinking about this idea of teaching about worship, and somebody else brings up the, the truth that it's Advent season is upon us, we need to do some planning for what the Advent series is going to look like, someone else in our worship committee says, why wouldn't we combine the two? Why wouldn't we do a little journey through the Christmas story and see what does the original, the first Christmas story teach us about worship? And so when the idea was raised, then it began to percolate a little bit and everybody goes, yeah, that seems like a good idea. And we start uh, messing around with some of the ideas a little bit and it seems to be growing. And, and so that's what's going to happen in the next several weeks. We're going we're gonna to ask the question, what does the first Christmas story teach us about worship? I mean, there's so much about worship. I mean, the, the whole Christmas story really is, really is a story of, of worship. Now, after hearing the reading that Randall just read, I think my first thought was, and work with me on this a little bit, uh, worship is responding. I wonder if we tend to get that wrong often and we think that worship is initiating. We need to do something that will get God's attention and worship is certainly something that will get God's attention. So I need to do worship stuff and initiate connection with God. For today, I want to suggest the opposite. And I think it's fair to say that I see this all throughout the Christmas story. Uh, Mary responded. We're going to talk a little bit more specifically about Mary in just a few minutes, but but just work with me. Joseph responded. The shepherds responded. The wise men responded. God looks for us and finds us and initiates contact with us, and we 
respond. That really is worship. It's us responding. Worship is responding. Responding to who God is. Responding to his creation. To what he has done for you. To what he says to you. To how he has created you. To his call in your life. To his invitations to you. Worship is responding to God. And in some ways, back to what Randall read, in some ways that takes the pressure off. Because all I have to do is respond. And so I don't have to initiate. I don't have to conjure up from within myself some kind of feelings. I don't have to make something new happen. All I need to do is is stop and allow God to speak to me. And then respond. And so we're often consumed with trying to figure out how we're going to do this, this initiating and this conjuring up and, and all that periphery stuff that happens in our world at Christmas. And we need to decide how to handle all that and how to turn it all back somehow. And your worship at Christmas, actually, probably most things should fall into this category. If you look closely at what the Bible says to us about worship, your worship all the time is responding to God. You let God initiate and you work at responding appropriately. Let God look for you and find you and speak to you and initiate contact with you and then you respond. That's what Mary did and Joseph did and the shepherds did and the wise men did. They all responded in worship, in their own way, in worship. Each one of them differently, but they responded. And their response was their worship. I already told you, uh, today we're going to briefly look at how Mary responded. It's it's an interesting little study, and so work with me for the next couple of minutes. Um, And as we look at how Mary responded, we will continue to ask that question, what does her response teach us about worship, about how worship looks? And so out of nowhere, in Luke chapter 1, we are introduced to Mary. Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26, all of a sudden, Mary... Boom, comes on the scene, and it says, the angel comes, and, and she, the angel surprises Mary, and starting with verse 26, uh, this is what it says. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Uh, You might think it strange that I have that word underlined up uh, up on the screen. Wondered. Mary wondered. It's actually a bit of a theme in Mary's life if you continue to read her story. Uh, You follow into Luke chapter 2, after Jesus has been born, and the shepherds come, and then the shepherds leave. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, it says, um, 
And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And then verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is Mary. She, she drinks in what is happening. She sees and she hears and she takes it in and then she thinks about it and she wonders and she ponders. You move to the end of Luke chapter 2 and Jesus is already 12 years old and they go to the temple for this little 12-year-old uh, special ceremony. And, uh, and when they leave the temple and they start traveling back to their home again, they've, they've traveled for a day and suddenly they realize that the 12-year-old Jesus is not with them. They go back to the temple to find Jesus and they do find him. And uh, Jesus makes this, 12-year-old Jesus makes this, this statement, you know, why in the world are you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be about the business of my father in his house? And, uh, and so it's, and then it says that he went back with them and he was obedient to them. And then right at the end of Luke chapter 2, I think it's verse 51, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. There's something going on here. And she's perceptive and she sees and she hears and she thinks and she wonders and she ponders. Three times in these two chapters, Mary is pondering, wondering, thinking, meditating, allowing the full impact of what is happening to take root inside of her. Here's my first statement. Mary responded to God by stopping and meditating. Don't allow that word to, uh, you know, to distract you too much. I know it's used in some other forms of religion also. But I, I think it's an accurate word. I, I, I couldn't find a better word. Um, meditating. Mary responds by meditating. We are people that like to do things. You know, even in our worship, we, we like to be active and we like to do something. And we're going to get to some of that in the next few weeks. Uh, often worship does include action. And so uh, don't worry. But, but here today, we're looking at Mary. And when it comes to Mary, it was her spirit and her soul that are all wrapped up in her worship, in her response. See, Mary is not just a, a naive and weak little teenage girl who, who just goes with it because she can't think of, you know, far enough to stand up for herself. No, this, this is a girl with character. She thinks things through. She treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. I don't think Mary was somebody who never did anything. I don't think she was a, a woman of no action. But obviously, according to how the Bible speaks about her, what really characterized her response was her, her deep ability to contemplate and to think and to meditate. And I sometimes wonder if one of our biggest problems when it comes to responding to God in worship is our... Um, our inability to stop and wait and listen uh, and give God a chance to speak to you. Actually, let me rephrase that. And give yourself a chance to hear God. responding appropriately to God. I mean, it feels like such a waste of time to just sit there and, and, and not do anything. 
I could be doing this. I could be baking cookies. I could be bringing stuff to somebody. I could be paying a visit. I could be preparing a message. I could be doing, I could be doing a hundred things and all I, just stop and sit and wait and, and think and ponder and wonder and be amazed. I don't know. Wouldn't that be an appropriate response? To what God has all done. After all that God has done and is doing. and Wouldn't that be an appropriate response. To just take some time from time to time. And, and to be quiet in your mind. And, and cultivate a spirit of openness and readiness. Allowing your mind to see things and hear things. And allowing God to put the pieces of the puzzle together for you. Does God deserve a little bit of quiet time? We need to keep moving. Let's go back to the story of Mary here in Luke chapter 1. So she was a woman who was willing to stop and think and meditate. Verse 30 it says, But the angel said to her, continuing on with that little story, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. He gives her a few more details of how exactly this is going to happen. And then in verse 38, Mary responds. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Wow. She responds in submission. Maybe the most difficult response of all, because it's perhaps one of the most misunderstood uh, uh, concepts in human relationships in our world. The, the, the word submission. A word that our world has decided denotes or signifies weakness. We don't submit in our world because that means I'm weak. And nobody wants to be weak. We're all supposed to be strong no matter what. Just be strong. Be strong. Stay standing strong. And today I'm suggesting that actually I think worship begins here. With submission. With submitting. May it be to me as you have said. Honestly, if you want to worship God, oh yes, it's a cool idea to sing and to, and to play instruments and to dance and to wave your hands up and down or to get down on your knees or to do this or to do that and run around and, and, and do all kinds of things. But I wonder if, if true worship actually has to start by responding to God in submission. I wonder if some of the hardest words for us humans to say are, okay, Whatever you want, I'm good with that. But I have my own plans. I have things I want to do. I have places I want to go and things I want to accomplish. Watch me, God. Watch me go. I will get it done for you. And a true understanding of God and who he is and what he has done and how he feels about you deserves, before any other response, a simple word of submission. Okay, God. Whatever you want, I'm good with that. I will suggest that all the other forms of worship are somewhat empty without submission. 
And that's where Mary starts. Interesting, actually, she could have, you know, gone in several different directions when the angel first spoke to her and, and commissioned her for this task. I've kind of imagined what some of the other responses could have been. I, I could see some, uh, some, somebody uh, uh, hearing this and, and jumping up and down. Oh, I would love to. I would love to. I will be the best mother for Jesus that anyone could possibly be. You are so lucky you asked me. I will be the best. You check verse 38 here. She gets it. She is no more worthy than anyone else. She is no more capable than anyone else. It's simply, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She doesn't become all proud about the fact that she has been the one chosen for this task. She doesn't jump up and down with a naive, inflated view of how wonderful this is all going to be. Neither, and maybe this is even more relevant in our culture, neither does she come up with some false humility. Oh, God, please ask someone else. Please, please, I I would be no good at that. I don't even know how to change a child's diaper. I'm not worthy. Don't ask me. I could never do an adequate job. There are many others out there who could do much better at this than me. Please just go and ask somebody else. Doesn't say that either. Her response is simple and clear. It's a statement of complete submission. I am the Lord's servant. I'm here to do whatever you ask of me. You are God, and I am Mary, your servant. And being the contemplative woman that we just saw that she is, it's not that she didn't understand what this might all mean. I have to believe that her contemplative character told her what this might all mean. I have to believe that she understood. She understood that this might mean that her fiancé was going to leave her. She understood that this might mean that her parents were going to turn their back on her. She understood that this might mean that her whole community was going to ostracize her. That this might mean that she would never be welcome in her church anymore. This could mean so many things. Still, Mary's response is humble and clear. I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. So here we have Mary responding in worship, in meditation, and then in submission. And so as you read about Mary, you kind of get this picture of her being a quiet but wise and strong young woman. She likes being behind the scenes, not wanting tons of attention. She's very solid in her faith. She didn't need a lot of noise in order to worship. She did that quietly through submission and meditation. She's not the kind of woman that needs to be heard. Strong, solid, and quiet. And then there's this moment, this moment when Mary seems to act out of character. She worships again. She responds. Here's another step in her, in her little worship. She responds again to God and to what God is doing. If you check chapter 1, verse 46 to 55, all of a sudden, Mary bursts into song. And not just any song. But this is kind of a, kind of a prophetic song. It's a, it's a song about who God is and about God's character and how God's character has, has treated her so exceptionally and how, how God's character is one of mercy and justice and goodness and faithfulness. And, and Mary bursts into this song, responding to God, and it seems so completely out of character for her. 
I wonder. I wonder. In our journey of worship, I think for the most part we worship in character. But I wonder if from time to time, God gives us a moment where he does something supernatural and he he invites us to worship out of character. And somehow that moment or that that out of character, that supernatural moment when God invites us to worship in a different way is, is his way of saying, you know what, my worship is something supernatural or your worship of me is something supernatural. And so just let it happen for a moment in a supernatural, out of character kind of way. I don't think that happens very often. But I know of many of you who have shared with me moments like that, and I have to believe that there's many other of you, others of you that have had those kind of moments that you're kind of almost a little bit perplexed about, like, how, how did that happen? What, what actually happened there? I did something very out of character. And, and sometimes we're even a little ashamed of those moments. I, I wish that wouldn't need to be the case. But because it's kind of out of character and it feels so supernatural, it's something that we're not quite sure what to do with. Mary burst into song. And she sings this song. We don't know if she ever sang again. At least it's not recorded in the Bible. It's not recorded that she ever did any kind of prophetic um, speaking again. Maybe, maybe she did, but it's not recorded. But God gives her this moment of kind of supernatural singing that she does. And I I guess this morning I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to allow that to happen to you. Might be scary. I, I don't know, but embrace it. You're not weird. Um, invite God to give you a supernatural moment. Now, here's the temptation, because it's happened to me a few times in my life. Now, here's the temptation. We try, we love those moments when you embrace them, and and then we try to reenact them. I have, because that was so good. And I try and, and, and one time it happened while I was driving on a vehicle, and I try and turn the same music on again, and I, and I try and get into the same frame of mind again, and I'm somehow, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna manufacture that again, because I want that. No, 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 no. No, if it was supernatural in the first place, I'm not gonna manufacture it again. I'm not gonna reenact it. Um, I'll remember it, because it was fantastic. And I'll invite it to happen again. And I'll be open to it happening again. But if it's supernatural, then it's going to be God that makes it happen, not you. And so I believe, I believe that there's a supernatural element to worship. That God invites us. And again, remember, this is not something you conjure up. This is not something that you make happen. In your spirit, you allow it and you invite it. But you leave it up to God after that. God does the initiating. It's his job. It's not yours. You respond. Worship is us responding. Then the interesting thing about Mary's song here is that um, that the way Mary sings, the words that she sings, 
line up with her character. Um, sometimes we struggle with that a little bit, and uh, and we are one person. Uh, you know, we might bitch and complain and, and and fuss and yell and fight and be rude and selfish and arrogant in life. And then when we come to the church and we start singing songs of response to God and how amazing He is and what we're all going to do and be for God, and all of that doesn't line up. Mary's response to the angel and how Mary does life later, it lines up with how she sings over here. She sings about God's mercy toward her and God's favor towards her and God's mercy and justice towards all people. And so Mary's song and her life, they line up. When the angel came and visited, Mary was overwhelmed by God's favor on her. Months later, when she bursts into song, her worship song, she is focused on God's mercy and God's favor. Mary responds. She stops and listens and ponders and thinks. She submits completely. And she bursts into supernatural song, a song that lines up with who she is. In closing, let me read Psalm 37, verses 3 to 7. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Amen.